Our scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. You can find it on page 3 of your bulletin. I'll be referring to it a few times throughout uh, the sermon, so keep that bulletin open in front of you. Hear these words from the book that we love. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who, who could, would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be, be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a great nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took a bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, a few years ago, a, a church, our church over the years, we've supported uh, ministries in South Sudan, um, particularly one uh, that's uh, led by a, a man named James Bach. And I was, I was actually privileged to go to South Sudan and help James Bach with uh, some pastoral trainings that were happening in the city of Juba in South Sudan um, a few years ago. And James, um, a bit about James's story, James Bach. Uh, James was one of the 20,000 or so lost boys of South Sudan. Um, if you're, if you're, so you may have heard of the, the story of the Lost Boys. Uh, back in like the late 80s, a civil war broke out in what was then Sudan. And it was really the, the southern region of Sudan, which ended up, by the, at the end of the civil war, after over a decade of civil war, ended up breaking off and forming South Sudan. Um, there was civil war between the south and the north. And there were militias from the more powerful north that came down and they would just ravage uh, villages in South Sudan. Um, and w when that happened, many, particularly many boys, teenage boys and younger, they were separated from their families or their parents were, were killed. And these boys tried to go find help. So what they did is, and it ended up being like really an international news story, 
they marched like they, they walked like in single file lines like for a thousand miles or more to refugee camps in Ethiopia and Kenya. And James Bach, uh, our, our partner in South Sudan, he's, he was one of these lost boys. And he describes how um, when he was 13 years old, the, a militia came in and invaded his village and he was separated from his parents. And he joined with these other boys and he, he describes how like on the journey they were like at death's door the whole time. They, uh, many died um, each day because of starvation. Uh, they, uh, because of sickness, uh, they were being attacked by militias, like they were treated as if they were a, a South Sudanese army or something. Um, they, and some, he, he even said that some were like boys, like they were attacked by wild animals, like lions would attack the boys. And in, many didn't make the journey. Um, but James was one of the few, miraculously, who made it to a refugee camp in Ethiopia. And in the refugee camp, like consumed with vengeance because of what had happened in, in his town, he went into the refugee camp. He, was, he wanted to try and find a gun to buy so that he could uh, you know, be, avenge everything that had happened with his parents. But instead, he found a missionary. So as a teenage boy, a teenage orphan boy in a refugee camp, James Bach uh, was introduced to Christ and started to follow Christ. And he went in uh, consumed with vengeance, but he went out wanting to share a message of everlasting peace. Um, and instead of coming, many of the lost boys actually ended up settling as refugees around the world, many actually in the United States. He actually said he didn't want to do that. He said he wanted that. He sensed a call from God to go back to South Sudan and to be a voice of peace in Jesus' name. So after the Civil War died down, which took a long time, after, and it was after 13 years from him fleeing his village, he went back, James went back to try to find his parents to see if they were still there. And miracle of miracles, his parents were still there and they were, and they were, and they were alive. And imagine his parents, his, and his parents, miracle of miracles, he was back after 13 years, you know, 13 to age 26. And, he, and, and in the conversations that I had with, with James, he described how when his parents, his, when his mother and his father saw him, they, and he rec- they all recognized each other. He said, like, the three of them, they embraced each other, and they just wept for hours and hours. Like, can you imagine just the, the joy? He's the lost son that came back, the impossible son, the thing that never could have happened, happened. And they threw, like, a week-long party with their entire village to celebrate him coming back. Um, when we talk in the Bible, sometimes there are passages in the Bible about like where a calf is slaughtered in celebration. Well, they actually did that. Uh, and they actually had like a biblical level celebration. Uh, and his parents and the village elders, they were like so amazed by, that he was brought back. Uh, that, that like life had come from a place where there was only war and death and despair. They were so amazed by the testimony of his return that they, the whole village, like they received the message that James brought with him which was about the peace that one can have in Christ. And like the whole village ended up coming to Christ. Like it's, it's just this, this like wild story. And what I want to do, I open this way, is I want to seize the mood of that moment that of them holding each other and crying for hours, that like moment of exuberant joy, tear-inducing wonder, and say that mood, that mood is the start of this passage the start of this passage with the birth of Isaac. God makes the impossible 
happen. A woman who is a, a man and a woman who are so old to be as good as dead. God, who's made promises to them that, he would bear, that, that a child would come through them on a certain timeline, he delivers on his promises. He makes the impossible happen. He brings life out of barrenness and despair and cynicism. So I, what I want to do is I want to look closely at these. There are two stories in this passage. There's a story about the birth of Isaac, and then there's the story um, about what happens with the sending out of the son of the slave woman of, of Ishmael. Um, with the, but I want to keep that mood in mind, that joy, that surprise, that wonder. And the point of these passages, these two passages, is, is so simple, um, but it just is the foundation of everything. And it's just this. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. That's it. That's the sermon. That's the cornerstone of our lives. It's true. God does what he says he's going to do. So let's see how he does it in these stories. So these first seven verses, verses one through seven, uh, tell the story about how God, the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. Abraham has been get, receiving promises from God that he will be made into a great nation, and it's been beginning, the promises have been getting more and more specific about uh, that uh, he'll have a, a son through Sarah, that it'll come on a certain timeline. Like, observe how the, this text, it really wants to signal to us that God is doing what he said he would do. Verse one. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. It's like, underline that. As he had said. Verse 1, and the Lord did as he had promised. Verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time that God had spoken to him. Uh, It's making really clear, God did it. He did what he said he was going to do. Even the, the numbers in this passage They're shouting, God did it. God's bringing new creation. So Abraham, it notes that Abraham is 100 years old, which one plain thing from a guy being 100 years old is like, hey, he's really old. 100 is really old. He, like, God did an impossible thing, bringing life from a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman. But there's also something about it being like a round number that connects Abraham with other characters earlier in Genesis. Uh, like, consider this, uh, Adam lived, uh, the Bible tells us he lived 800 years after, fo- after having Seth, who was then like the new creation, new child. Uh, Noah was 500 when he fathered his sons. Noah was 600 when God brought the flood. These round numbers, it just shows that the same God who brought new life for the ancients is bringing new life now for Abraham. Another number is the eighth day. Isaac is circumcised on the eighth day. If you remember at the beginning in Genesis 1, the world is created in six days. God rests on the seventh. It kind of encloses the, the creation account. The eighth day, it's the new first day. The new first day of creation. It's a sign that God is keeping his promises to renew, bring new creation in a broken and dying world. God has done it. That's what these numbers are saying. It's like, it got, and for those of you, like so many, some of you here, you're visiting us for, the, for this morning or, or you haven't been tracking with us for a while and we're, and we're thankful you're here. Many, but many of us in this room also have been with us in Genesis and like, it's like to peek behind the pulpit, like this, this sermon series, like it's been kind of a slog, hasn't it? And I think some of us have felt it. Like it's just, it's just like, 
starting with Genesis 3, and now, look, we're in chapter 21 now. That's a lot of chapters. Like, starting in Genesis 3, like, it's just darker, and then it gets darker, and then it gets darker, and it spirals, and it's ominous. And the tone of the passages is, is like, one thing I do in my preparations, I always reflect on, what's the tone of this text? Like, and how can the sermon reflect the tone of the text? The tone is, like, I'm, I, like every week, I'm like, dark, ominous, uh, scary, like, but do you feel how, like, the, today in this passage with the birth of Isaac, that this, like, this light, it just breaks through? And the tone of this passage is so different. Do you feel the relief, the joy, the surprise? It's like, you mean to tell me that after, after the fall, after Cain murdering Abel, after, the, after like the wickedness of the flood, after the Tower of Babel, after Abraham's foibles in Egypt, after the folly of Lot, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, after Abraham repeats his mistakes with Abimelech, that's what he done in Egypt. You mean to tell me that after all of those things, the promise still comes? Yes. Yes, it still comes. God's promises rely on God. And it's such good news. This is this, this God, he turns barrenness into laughter in this passage. Isaac's name means laughter. Uh, in his name, laughter, it's this joyful twist on how when God had previously visited Abraham uh, a couple chapters over, he told Abraham, a year from now, I'm going to come back to you, you're going to end your wife, Sarah, will, will bear a son. And Sarah is behind a, a, a doorway. She hears this and she, she laughs. And the, it's a laugh that's like, that's impossible. That's outlandish. It's probably a, a laugh that's accompanied with an eye roll, like a yeah, right. And that laughter, that original laughter, it's transformed into the laughter that we see in this passage. And you can hear it in her, in what she's saying in verses, verses six and seven, like, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Like Sarah's been, she's been, uh, in a, she's been like an angry, embittered woman in some of these passages. She's exploding with joy. The, the laughter is transform, transformed into a laughter of joy. And like, and we know this, right? Like, do you know how there are different kinds of laughs? Or how even like you have different kinds of laughs? And that like, here's one, is, have you ever heard of a, I call it a pity laugh, which is when I try to say something that I think is funny, and uh, the person recognizes that I'm trying to be funny, so the person offers a pity laugh. So and I, like, uh, there's, there's someone I know who, the, the pity laugh sounds something like, uh, like it, it sounds like a cartoon laugh or something, and, you, and it just makes you like, oh gosh, what I said was really not funny, and I, I deserve that pity laugh. Uh, or do you, know, do you know the kind of laugh, like can you hear it, that goes with an eye roll? Or the kind of laugh that, that goes with uh, trying to fill an awkward silence? Or uh, the kind of laugh that goes with like a shrug of the shoulders? Can you hear those laughs? Contrast that laugh, that first laugh, with the second laughter, which is like, and you, we've all experienced it at some point. It's like a deep in your gut, belly laughter that like hurts because you laugh so hard, like hilarious laughter. 
I think of my, my grandfather's laughter, the way he laughs. He's, he's not quite as old as, as Sarah is in this passage, but close. And uh, my grandfather, when he laughs, he holds his gut. He like, he like squints his eyes because he's laughing so hard and tears like come streaming down his face. And he like holds his mouth open like, like this because he, and you can see that he's missing half of his teeth and he's like frozen, like, like in belly laughter. And uh, it's just, when you just see him busting out in laughter, it just, it, you can't help but laugh yourself. Um, that's the kind of laughter that we see in this passage. That first laughter, the pity laughter, the shrug of the shoulders laughter, it's transformed into the, the deep, joyful laughter, which is quite an image for how God works in this story, but also just how he works in the world. He turns cynicism into hope. He turns barrenness into fruitfulness. He turns death into life. Um, I, I had a, a seminary professor who, uh, he was trying to prepare us. He, he wasn't a pastor himself. He'd, he'd definitely done some pastoral work though. And uh, he was trying to, he was a bit of like a cage rattler. He wanted, you know, seminary students to be, you know, ask themselves hard questions. He was a really great professor. Um, but he had this line that he, he sent us out with. And uh, he, he said, well, you know, when you're being a pastor, people, they're going to come to you and they'll want certainty. And he said, and it's your job not to give it to them. Uh, which there's a lot of things, interesting reflections there. We could talk about it. Um, the, like I said, this professor, he's a bit of an agitator. He really wanted to like shake things up, which is, there's a time for that. And it's worth saying like, there's, there's actually a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, like there, like if, if you came to me and you said, well, God do blank in my life, I would be a fool or maybe worse if I always just tried to give you certainty about what God is going to do in your future, right? If you came to me and you asked like, is God going to heal my family? Is God going to bring me financial relief? Is God going to take away my addiction? Is God going to give me a place that finally feels like home? Is God going to make the church into what I need it to be? If I gave you certainty in response to these like deep questions, these deep hopes, if I gave you certainty, it'd be me putting myself in the place of God, right? As if I could guarantee that those things would come. Or, perhaps worse, is it'd be me putting you in the place of God, as if you have a right to get everything, even the good things that you, absolute, that, that you desire and that you know the timeline that things are supposed to come. And it may be my job to look you in the eyes and to tell you, I don't know the future. God may never give you the thing that you seek, as good as it is. And it may be my job as a pastor to mourn with you and to wait with you. That's the job of a pastor. But, but... My professor's not was not totally right. When I look at pastors like this, when I look at the birth of Isaac, I have to do something else that pastors do, which is to proclaim that God is real and he's bringing new life into the world. So guess what? I'm going to give you some certainty, okay? Here's, I can say this for certain. God, he isn't done with you. He isn't done with us. He isn't done with our neighborhoods. He isn't done with our city. God can take things that are the most broken in our lives, like barrenness at the age of 90, 
even though we're promised to be bearing a child. He can take the things that are the most broken and turn them into places of laughter. Take this. Here's some certainty for you. God can bring life out of nothing. Envision, I invite you this morning, envision the area of your life where there's nothing or worse than nothing. Like hold it in your hand. Envision it. And this morning, I want you to offer it up to this God who brings life out of nothing. And it's not just like a spiritual in the clouds kind of life. Like a child is born in this passage. It's a real material change in the world. This is what this God can do. He is so powerful. He brings life out of nothing. I want you, and I know this is like a scary thing to ask, I want you to bring that place where there's nothing or less than nothing in your life, and I want you to offer it up to God this morning, to the living God, the one who brings life out of death. And can also this this certainty that God brings life out of nothing, can we let that certainty inform our prayers right now? Can our prayers and on our own and together as a church, like we're in a season like of um, pastoral transition, our, our lead pastor stepped down and we're looking, we're just charting a new way towards the future. We had a transition team meeting last night. I'll give a brief update on that during our announcements time. Uh, but like, it's a time for big prayers. God delivered a baby through a barren womb. He can bring real changes in the world. So let's ask him like he can do big things. Like, let's ask him that we would grow in repentance. Let's ask him that our leaders would have wisdom. Let's ask him, let's ask him that he gives our church a long-term home in a building. Let's ask him to raise up new leaders to bring young people, college students, into the church who we can disciple. Let's ask him to bring our neighbors to the faith. Let's ask him for us to have find new ways for, there to be, for us to bless schools in our neighborhood. Let's, let's pray that our neighborhoods, that like our neighbors, that, that their addictions go away, that, the, that like the ways that there's pain in their families, that those, ways are, those places are healed. Pray that there be justice on our blocks, peace on our blocks, reconciliation. Like let's pray that God who brings life out of death would do that. Let's do that. Let's turn towards the, the second part of this passage, towards, towards Ishmael, who's not named as much in the second half, but that the passage is, is about him. So Ishmael, um, God, it, it, this is also a story of God keeping his promises. God kept his promise to bring Isaac. He also keeps his promises that he's made to Ishmael. So Ishmael, with, with the birth of Isaac, Ishmael's position is now uh, in jeopardy. Um, Ishmael, if you remember back in chapter 16, Sarah has the idea of like, hey, I'll build myself up. I can't, like, God's promised a child, but that's not going to happen because I'm so old. So how about I have Abraham um, have a child with my slave woman? And so it's Sarah's idea, and that leads to the birth of Ishmael. And Ishmael, and so, so now in the timeline, um, Isaac has been weaned, so it, it, it goes forward a few years, probably it, it, him, like a celebration of him being weaned probably would have been like around like a, it's like a third birthday party or something in the ancient world. Um, Ishmael, at that time, he would have been 16 or 17 years old. So we look at, at Genesis 17:25, and it says that when Abraham was 99, uh, Ishmael was 13. So you do the math there. He's around 16 or 17. 
And at this party, Ishmael's he laughs at the party. And like, I remember laughter is Isaac's name. And this, this laughter, it seems to be a laughter of mockery. It's, it's, it's a bit ambiguous what exactly is, is happening. Uh, like, was he mocking Isaac? Was he, was he uh, belittling him? Like, remember, laughter, Isaac means laughter. So it's by Ishmael laughing, it's like in the, the language, it's like he's Isaacing. He's Isaacing, which it suggests to me like he's, it's almost like a Ishmael, he's doing something at the party that's putting himself in the place of Isaac in his laughter. It's like, I envision like him hamming it up, being the center of attention, looking like the impressive firstborn, the one through whom the promises should go. Um, so Sarah, unsurprisingly, she reacts to this. And she asks Abraham to cast out the slave woman and her son. And you can hear, hear the contempt in her asking Abraham to do that. She doesn't refer to Hagar or Ishmael by name. And she refers to them as, as, uh, as, as to Ishmael as Hagar, you know, as the, the slave woman's son. Um, when Abraham, on the other hand, he's displeased because of this. He very much views uh, Ishmael as his son. And he has, he has a lot of, finds, he's, and Ishmael's found a lot of favor in Abraham's eyes. But God comes to, comes to Abraham and tells him to go through with the plan that Sarah has said. And God says two things that sound like they should contradict each other, but they stand firmly next to one another and how he's going to fulfill his promises. He says, one, he's like, Isaac is the one um, through whom your offspring will come. Isaac is the child of, of promise, period. And at the same time, he says, uh, that God says, I will take care of Ishmael. I will fulfill my promises to him. So this, God taking this step with, with uh, Abraham, it's not him saying that Sarah's plan was good, that it was morally okay, but it's saying that God will bless and keep, bless his people, he'll bless those whom he's promised to bless and he will keep his promises in a messy world in dysfunctional families such as this one. So the central drama in this second this second passage, it's actually not a different drama than the first, even though the circumstances are very different, is will God keep his promises? Will he make Ishmael into a great nation? That's the question leading into the drama of them wandering out into the wilderness. Wilderness and desert are the same words in the original language. So they, they, it, look, and it looks pretty darn like they're not going to, like he's not going to. Hagar and Ishmael, they run out of water. They're dying of thirst. Hagar leaves Ishmael under a bush to die. And she wanders off so she won't hear him crying as he dies. Um, will God keep his promise? Yes. In the short term, immediately. Yes. He send, God sends a messenger to Hagar, an angel, as he did in chapter 16. And he reveals to her a well of water so that she and the boy can be saved. And then we get a short snippet on Ishmael's future, uh, that he grows up in the wilderness and he becomes an expert with a bow. Uh, God had promised when Ishmael, when, uh, he, when Ishmael was, was born that he would, basically he'd be tough as nails and wouldn't take a bad word from anybody. And that comes true. Like he's, he's uh, this expert with the bow living in the wilderness. And we'll later on see Ishmael's descendants in Genesis it's Ishmael's descendants who actually take Joseph into Egypt. So by the end of Genesis, Ishmael has already become a nation. Will God keep his promises? Yes. In the short term, he did. And in the long term, he does. 
with Ishmael. Though the path for Ishmael, it's wild. It's there are times where he's on the brink. God is faithful to him. Uh, recall Ishmael's name. So Isaac's name means laughter. Ishmael's name means, means God hears. Indeed, God hears the cry of this boy who's about to die. He hears him. Um, it, also, it also says that God was with the boy. God was with Ishmael. And that's that little epithet. It, that, it's also applied to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Like basically the key standard bearers throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. Ishmael, he may not have been the one through whom, the, through whom Abraham's offspring, that the line would come, but he's treasured and he's heard by God. The point, therefore, is the same as the previous story. God keeps his promises. Though the time may be long and the way may be wild, God is faithful to do what he said he was going to do. So a central question you, you may have as I've this main point of God keeps his promises. A central question underneath that is what are God's promises? You know, okay, so he made really specific promises to Abraham uh, about a birth of a son. Like his promises to us are not as, as clear. What are they? What cannot we bank our lives on? And really this, this book is filled with promises. And what I want to do is I just want to list a few promises of God slowly. And I want these, you to, to, to see how these promises meet you this morning. Like, do any of these promises feel impossible? Do they feel as impossible as the barrenness of Sarah's womb? Do they feel as impossible as dying of thirst in the wilderness of Beersheba? Here, they, here's, here are a few. Here's one from the letter to the Philippians. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's another one from the Gospel of John. Jesus says this. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's a promise in that. Here's one more. This is from the very end of the Bible. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Of course, there are many other promises in the pages of this, of this book. Um, there, and there's more to be said here about the promises God makes to us and doesn't make to us. Um, let me start to, to wrap up. But if you're here and you, you wouldn't, you'd say you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe you're investigating the faith or maybe you've gone away and are considering coming back. I, we're all in various places this morning. Um, if you're here and, and maybe you're, you're genuinely curious, but you would say, yeah, I'm kind of on the outside looking in right now. I would ask you, like, the, this joy... The joy of James Bach reuniting with his parents. The joy of a 90-year-old woman laughing because she's holding the long-promised son. Like, do you want joy? The joy that, this kind of joy in a God who keeps his promises. Um, if you do, I would invite you to turn to Jesus. Uh, this, invita and this invitation I'm giving, by the way, 
even if you're not on the outside looking at maybe you're just a weary and worried Christian, this invitation is for you too. Uh, Jesus, Jesus' arrival is really similar to Isaac's. Uh, he, it's an impossible birth. He's born of a virgin. Um, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. But it's, it's like he's actually more than that. Like, Jesus isn't just the fulfillment of God's promises. Like, the word for promise and word, promise and word, are, 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 real, are the same word in, in the Old Testament. Like, Jesus is God's promise made flesh. Like, Jesus is God's promise. He's the new man, the one through whom the world is being made new. Not a sign that God is making the world new, but the world is being made new through him. How is he making the world new? Through him coming to us, through his obedience, through his rejection, which was far worse than Ishmael's, uh, through his, his death, his atoning death for our sins on the cross, through his resurrection, resurrection, life out of death, through these things, Jesus, Jesus is the how of God's promises. The path to joy, the path from cynical laughter to full-bellied laughter, it's through Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the, the last one, the life. He says, I am the life. Just like the life, the, the fountain that, that Hagar was pointed to in the wilderness, he is the life. So this morning, to those, who, those of you who would consider yourself on the outside looking in and those of you who are on the inside but you're weary and worried, bring your barrenness, your despair, your cynicism, your sin, your stuckness, your impatience, your exhaustion, your lostness, your thirst, your anger, your sadness, your desperation. Bring them to the only one who can give you life. Bring them to him this morning. In his time and in his way, God promises that our mourning, it'll be turned into dancing. The path is it's a following Christ. It's one of re- that will have be, re- involve repentance. It'll involve suffering. It will involve setbacks. But I say, I think in faithfully preaching this text, that he will bring you new joy, new life, and new meaning. I really believe that. The adventure of our lives is for us to see how God, who brings life out of nothing, is to see how God will bring life out of death in us and around us every single day. It's the adventure of our lives. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians, he writes this, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm.